Today we're going to discuss the avant-garde philosophy. We're going to have a discussion with Courtney Minor, a professional singer based out of California, and our composer profile is on Nicola Vicentino. This is Early Music Monday. I feel like there are two very distinct parts of my personality. There's the one half that's academic, intellectual, philosophical, abstract, high art. And there's the other part of me that is uh, not that. Very low brow, for lack of a better word. And uh, those two sides of myself fight all the time. Um, And I actually think it gives me a cool perspective and a cool approach to things. Uh, But I'm going to talk a little bit as if I was talking from the, the kind of average Joe perspective. So when I, that half of me, when I think of avant garde, I think of far out weird, experimental, weird crap. That's not really crap, but I just don't get it. It just goes right over my head. And that's in every field, like visual art, dance, music, obviously, film, theater, etc., etc. But the cool thing is that the avant-garde, especially in music, the avant-garde really pushed the envelope. And in doing so, they opened the door for new ideas that really progressed music to get it where we are today. And that's what's so cool about it. We talked about it when we talked about Monteverdi a little bit with the whole idea of the first guy through the wall always gets bloody. But it opens the gates for more to come. So when I think avant-garde... Just off the top of my head, all areas, I think Michelangelo, Jackson Pollock, Picasso, Handel, Sigmund Freud, Thomas Edison, Galileo, Jackie Robinson, Elon Musk, and we could go on and on. Pink Floyd, The Beatles, again, there's so much. And so if you think about rock and roll, you could talk about the whole subgenre of psychedelia, you know. And how you get Pink Floyd and Rush and Jimi Hendrix and the Grateful Dead. And really, the first psychedelic song, really, was by the Beatles. And it was super far out and avant-garde. And they were into all kinds of experimental things. And that kind of led the way into this new movement. Super cool. It reminds me of, this is a side note... There's a book by Simon Sinek. He's a leadership, uh, he's a professional, and he does lectures and writes books uh, about effective leadership. And he's geared most of his writing, almost all of his writings and lectures towards business. But he has this new book out that came out in 2019 called The Infinite Game. And I'm in the middle of reading it right now. It is awesome. He talks about the difference between a finite game and an infinite game finite game people are concerned 
and consumed with winning. They want to win the game. It's short-sighted. Infinite game players are more interested in staying in the game as long as possible. He equates that to like Microsoft with the Zune versus Apple with the iPod. The Zune, if you looked at it objectively, was probably better, but Apple didn't really care. And Zune, Microsoft was consumed with trying to beat Apple and make more money, you know, than Apple. And Apple was, we want to change the world. And that mindset, you can see that mindset in a lot of these avant-garde composers. They want to change the game. They want to change what it means. Think about Jezwaldo or Monteverdi, Picasso, any of the people listed before. Their vision was way more infinite. And so even though I sit there and I say, well, I don't know how I would feel going to an entire two-hour concert by Stockhausen, that would be pleasant. Said no one ever. It might be intellectual and engaging, pleasant, not so much. Or Schoenberg, like, it's like that super abstract experimental stuff is not always the most pleasant, but that's not their goal, so it doesn't really matter. The whole point is to push the envelope and to change, again, change the game. It's super amazing. So when I think of Sound of Ages and this podcast, the whole point is my vision, the infinite game, is to take early music out of the museum and put it onto the stage to rethink about how we we think about early music and its performance and how we can be a little bit avant-garde and experimental uh, in how we approach it. And so what a lot of these, and the reason why that's so fascinating, that concept is so fascinating to me is because a lot of the 20th century, 21st century contemporary composers in their attempt to be avant-garde, a lot of the times they'll look back to centuries before and find one small element and try to just expand that into something bigger and experiment on it. And I just think that's amazing. And we're going to talk about Vicentino. And I'm just going to give you a heads up. Vicentino is not a useful composer. If you listen to his songs, he's kind of like you know, going to a full concert of Stockhausen. If anybody's listening and would love to go to Stockhausen for a full hour, just contact me and tell you how you get to that point in your life. I mean, do you just live on a higher spiritual plane? Are drugs involved? Are you born with a higher intelligence? Uh, I don't know what to do. Um, But I clearly need to do something if I'm going to uh, fully appreciate the avant-garde, but uh, I appreciate it in one sense that I've said I ramble and repeat myself of it opens the door for new things. So if you think about twelve-tone music and atonality, yeah, that might be not be the most pleasant sound. You're gonna go to an hour and a half long concert of just atonal piano um, sonatas or whatever. But that type of music fits really well into film music 
And some of those techniques, if put in moderation, can work really good in a tonal piece. If you then expand a certain section of it into the atonal realm and then come back or something. So oftentimes these experimental avant-garde ideas are introduced in its kind of purest form. And then those pure form ideas by these avant-garde like really, truly genius. I, I'm, I mock, but they're genius. And then their ideas get taken in bits and pieces and applied to all other different areas. And that's an amazing thing. So even while those composers, maybe they weren't even famous in their time, or they probably weren't even that concerned with making a lot of money, because again, they were playing an infinite game of rethinking what does the future look like? I want to stay in the game as long as possible. I'm going to change things up. And I think that's really cool and really admirable. And so even though uh, this uh, lowly person here, again, may not be uh, on the spiritual plane required to go to lots of avant-garde concerts and just feel fulfilled and rejuvenated by them, I definitely respect them. And so our composer profile, which we'll get to uh, after our interview on Nicola Vicentino, he's kind of like the John Cage or the Schoenberg or the Stockhausen of the Renaissance. The only way to describe it is like, dude, far out, man. Super whacked out stuff. That again... I mean, he didn't even have, uh, most of his music was lost, we'll talk about later. He didn't even have any useful s pieces of music to perform. It was like one, maybe. But, again, he led the way for people like Monteverdi and Gesualdo to create brand new things based on his experimental ideas. It's like so punk rock. In our interview with Courtney... You'll hear she is hilarious. It was the hardest time I've had in any interview that I've ever done of trying not to just full-on belly laugh and lose control. Um, she's so down to earth and and sees things in a similar way where she understands how to speak the academic, academia, intellectual language and the common person, hey, I listen to classic rock every day language as well. So it's really fascinating to uh, so it's really fascinating to hear her perspective on early music and early music performance since she has an early music performance degree and she's unbelievable. Um, she is a highly sought after talent and uh, is a brilliant soprano. So it's fascinating and we'll I'll let her introduce herself and tell her story of how she came to singing. We turn now to our interview with Courtney Minor. Courtney, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. Ever since I, I met you at ACDA and just like heard your story and you're so down to earth. And I think, <laughs> I think that, I don't know, it's, I just remember specifically telling you, it's like, yeah, we kind of do early music and you're like, that's my jam. And I was like, my jam. <laughs> okay. She's my people then. Cause that's, <laughs> you don't get that. As like often, five people's jam. That's I know <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I'd love to hear your story, not just necessarily how you got into early music, but how you got into singing in general. Like, 
from the idea of maybe I should do music to where you are today? Yeah. So I'm really into stories. So um, I'll apologize in advance that er like every answer I give is a story about things. I love so, it. <laughs> so when I was a kid, I was probably in first or second grade and um, the church we went to sent out postcards to all the kids. Um, they had a, they were starting a children's choir. Maybe they had it already. I don't know. But so I got a postcard sure. in the mail and I was like, mom, uh, the church wants me to go do chores. <laughs> Is that the thing we do? <laughs> oh, my my mom awesome. was like, it's not, I don't know what that says. <laughs> it's not chores. So uh, yeah, so I started singing in church choir as a kid and um, just from, you know, very young, they had a little kids choir and then they had like an intermediate kids choir. And then we had a junior high choir and then a high school choir. And then I played Ooh. a bell choir. I sang in the adult choir. And of course wow. we had it at school. I've been singing choir like my whole, whole life. But you know, the, what's really funny is that, well, I don't know about funny, but um, when it was time to, you know, start thinking about college, I mean, I, I lean towards music because that's what I was good at. Right. I mean, right. what a, it's a super soprano answer. Well, I'm good at it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> right. um, but, but yeah, I was right. good at it. And I was, and this is just, and I was better at it than I could, you know, you can tell you're like, oh, I'm like really good at this. A lot of people enjoy this. I'm like really good at this. Right. Uh, but I, I actually went, I went to undergrad um, as a music education major in the tuba studio. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So I, uh, I joined the tuba studio at Northern Illinois University and um, because I, I had never taken voice lessons ever and right. uh, I just sang in choir. That was it. So I, I, I remember asking a choir teacher like, hey, do you think I could do um, singing in, in college? She was like, well, have you ever had voice lessons? And I said, no. And she was like, no, they don't usually let people who never had voice lessons major in music. And I was like, oh, that sucks. Okay, well, I played the tuba, so it's fine. So I went yeah. to college and after I was there for I don't know, like a, you know, one semester. Yeah. I was like, oh, I, I would like to sing in choir again. And so I auditioned for the choir and you'll laugh because, you know, I sing way up top. Um, right. And the choir director was like, oh, uh, this is, this is great. We'd love to have you. Um, the opening I have is for like fourth alto. And I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. And so the first semester, the first semester I sang in college choir, they did Eric Whitaker's Water Night. And I oh, sang wow. the bottom alto. Yeah, line. <laughs> so like below the tenors, right? Like, <laughs> like I, don't, yeah. I don't think I can even sing that low anymore. So that's how I started. And then I I auditioned to take uh, voice lessons while I was like just secondary. Sure. And I had the most amazing voice teacher. And one day, and she used to, she would wear her glasses up here. Yeah. And one day she said, um, Courtney, I think you're one of those people <laughs> who could double major. And, uh, and so, amazing. and so I, I picked up a double major in voice and then I eventually dropped the ed major altogether. And I was like, sure, that doesn't sound that fun. I think I just want to <laughs> sing songs. Yeah. So, yeah. So I got my, my wound up getting my degree in just uh, in vocal performance. That's all I did. And then that's awesome. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It was like almost on accident being like, right. Yeah, I'll kind of do that. And I mean, like, well, I guess I'm I guess I'm doing this now. So, right. but I, I always had super supportive teachers. I mean, really, yeah. you know, I just, I don't want to say I got lucky, but like, oh, I just got lucky. <laughs> right. But <laughs> it's know? amazing how many people's stories are like that, you know, where, yeah, oh, I, sure. I didn't plan on this, but it ended up being really awesome. And, yeah. and, and I think the supportive 
teachers is really important. And I think that whether you're a private teacher or a public teacher or even a conductor, you're still a teacher, even if you're not in the education system. And I think you have a lot of influence. So that's really cool. And, you know, I've never understood. I mean, I've heard stories of people who just come out of voice lesson after voice lesson or, or any lesson, but come out of their lessons crying in tears yeah. just so upset that never happened to me I mean yeah. sometimes I brought it on myself right like sure, oh sure. I didn't learn this oh I'm the worst but <laughs> right but it was never my voice teacher never made me cry yeah right? they were right. always even when I went in and was like oh this is half prepared she was like all right work with what we got <laughs> you're, you're still paying me so whatever yeah <laughs> it's your money yeah, and your so time I think I was very fortunate <clears throat> in that respect so yeah that's fantastic so then once you graduated, what took you into kind of the early music realm to yeah. where it's, it became your jam kind of thing? So I, um, you know, I took music history like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, but I, I had one specifically really amazing history teacher while I was at Northern and she was amazing. And I took every class she taught and yeah. one of the classes she taught was early music ensemble. And wow. I was like, yeah, I want to play in that. That sounds great. And she's like, cool, do you yeah. play recorder? And I was like, no, but for you, I will learn. And <laughs> That's amazing. I literally did. I, I mean, I'm not good by any, right. any stretch, <laughs> right. but you know, I can play the recorder just a little bit. And we had this little tiny, you know, we didn't know what we were doing, but so after I graduated, I, uh, you know, decided I wanted to pursue a master's and I auditioned um, at, at several schools in the Chicagoland area, thinking I would continue in, in just classical voice performance. And they, you know, yeah. I was auditioning at like heavy opera programs. Cause that's, sure. right. That's what you, know, you what, do. What you do. Right. Yeah. That's what you do. So, you know, I auditioned at those places and I was waitlisted somewhere and I didn't get in somewhere else. And I, I don't even remember because I was like, I, just, I don't know, I don't really want to do these things. And I decided, well, I'll stay at, at Northern and I'll, I'll start a graduate degree here, mm-hmm. but I'll do like a musicology degree. Right. Yeah. And really, I just wanted to take more classes with, <laughs> right. with Jenny Hathaway. That's all I wanted. I yeah. Like, that's amazing. All these? I'll take the, I'll, I'll do that. But after like a semester, I was like, nah, I didn't really want to do that either. And I wanted to want to spend time writing papers and researching. Yeah, and stuff. I just, yeah, it just wasn't what I wanted to do. And I, I didn't know you could major in early music. And and one day right. this professor, she was like, um, have you ever read Early Music America? And I was like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> that was Did a been... dingo, didn't I? Yeah. yeah. And she was like, yeah. So, um, you know, here, I have it in my office. You can read. And I was like, and, you know, they have like that back section where they t- and I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> people do this <laughs> they're like they hide it no one told me <laughs> and, um, what, what yeah. actually, the, the real catalyst for me is um simon carrington came to northern and did okay. like a mini residency there where he wow. did master classes with the with the choir that was really great and um he did a master class with our early music ensemble and by then i was i was singing with them we had um we had a continual group sort of it was you know one of the one of the piano majors would play harpsichord and yeah actually the guy who's now her husband was playing gamba at the time wow. and uh and we just had this little you know group and so we were doing some barbara strozzi and we were you yeah. know just doing little 
a little, you know, really intimate yeah, chamber like concert music and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I sang for Simon Carrington and that was back when Yale was starting up their early music choral art song program. Wow. And, um, and he said to me, he said, uh, I think you should audition for this program and of course it was literally a week after I learned early music was a thing you could do like I didn't so it's all like the dog situation you just told me about or it's like happening yeah. all at once right? all at once yeah so and so he was like it's very exclusive this is not a Simon Carrington impression I cannot do that but he was like it's very exclusive you know we only take four students a year and it's yeah uh, totally it's tuition free right and you get a stipend like yeah you, you gotta go and so Yale flew me out to um, do an audition there. I made like the first cut and I auditioned there. And while I was there, I also auditioned at the Laundry Conservatory where I actually wound up going um, right. and in, like at Indiana a couple of, but I, like, I didn't even know these programs right. existed. Yeah. So yeah, that's it. Simon Carrington was the major catalyst for that. Wow. So, um, yeah. I mean, he's amazing. And anyone who who's ever, you know, been under his direction knows he's just, really fantastic so I have him to thank for that even though I didn't go to his program right but, yeah but because of him that's that's really how I was like oh you could study this stuff I <laughs> yeah fun yeah <laughs> exactly new. yeah and so and so I guess another question do you think it's kind of I mean I'm sure it's a combination of all of these things but do you feel like your voice type affects how much you like singing that rep yeah, I think. Or do you, or do, or does the music itself more influence your style, and and your voice type happens to fit? So I think a lot of times maybe how people are introduced to certain types of music really influences mm. if they like it or not, right? Sure. I love, and I mean love, <laughs> classic rock. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I love that. That's like all we listen to in this house, right? <laughs> yes. Classic rock. And, yeah, I feel um, that. You know, like my kids can sing along to Boston's debut album. We listen to that like once a week, right? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> but it's because I used to listen to that with my dad all the time, yeah. and and I and I love it, and it's it just you know even the songs that maybe like aren't that great, like they're right. all great. <laughs> you know, yeah, so exactly. Good. Um, and on the other hand and like nobody come after me for this but like i'm not crazy about orchestral music <laughs> right not, right I mean, some of it's fine a lot of it's fine it's really great <laughs> but if somebody was like if i had to choose right between going to the symphony and going to see like a boston cover band i'm gonna choose 100 times <laughs> yeah yeah so, like it's fine and it's but it's because my real introduction to orchestral music was in school where I was like I have to read about it I have to know mm. all this stuff I have to do the needle drop test you know I have to do all that so like I just don't it's fine and a lot of it's fun and I mean I used to play an orchestra and I like a lot of that stuff but you know there's not that much for tuba in the orchestra it's like a lot of rest counting so you know, it's just, <laughs> right, it right. doesn't excite me the way that, yeah. that it does for other people so I think that yeah. has a lot to do with it um, you know, the other thing about early music is that the the professor that I just adored was the right. one who introduced me to it. And and really, that was the first time for me that I had been given sort of a freedom to interpret something the way I wanted to or the way mm. that that I felt. I mean, I never took voice lessons before college. So, right. And my voice teacher was very traditional in that she, you know, she would say, okay, here's 
the song that everyone learns. I'm sure everyone, oh, I thought I had it right here, but the, oh, I do. This, the 24, this yep, the yeah, 24 exactly. Italian art right. songs. Here's, yeah. Here's, you know, <laughs> the song everyone learns. This is how you sing it, right? Right, <laughs> There's no, right. How do you want to approach this song? How do you want to interpret this? And right. maybe if you do a lot of arias that have recitative in it, maybe you do more sure. of that. I didn't, you know, and there were even some where, I mean, I did a few humble arias with my teacher and she was like, these are the ornaments you use. And I was like, okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very prescribed. And yeah. yeah. And, and so part of it was that, you know, my, my early music professor was like, here, here's a, a Barbara Strozzi aria. And I was like, cool. How do you sing this first part? She's like, mm-hmm. How do you sing this first part? I was like, oh, hmm. let's how do find I, out. How do I decision? Yeah, <laughs> what is decision? I mean, it's a little paralyzing yeah. at first, right? But then once you get right. into it and you feel it and you develop a rapport with your continuo and you just, you you create something alive and beautiful. And, yeah. and that's not at all to say you can't do that with sure. later classical music at all. I know you can. I don't do that generally speaking but like that was my first experience into it and I was like oh (laughs) yeah this is how to musician I get (laughs) it now this this is what we've been training for but it had never occurred to me to 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 do my own interpretation of something and I think that was very freeing for me personally yeah that's awesome so how many singers were in that consort group was it mostly instrumentalists and then for a while it was just me (laughs) wow that's awesome I think the first year we did it it was just me and then the second year we did it um there were two other girls and so I I it's hard for me to remember now but I think we did some Lusatsky even um some of the trio stuff yeah I know we did and um and then there were a couple other people and we did some like small group stuff. But when we first started, it was just me. So I got to do some cool solo stuff because it was yeah. a brand new, it was a right. brand new ensemble for the school. So that's so yeah, great. Cool. That what, are, what are some things you learned? I mean, it because it was a new ensemble, I mean, this is not anything on the question oh, list I prepared please. before, but I'm super <laughs> fascinated with, you know, what are some things you learned from being a part of the, like the beginning of that group? Like, what do you yeah. feel like it was like, and what does the group look like now? And, and how did that kind of... Oh, I don't know what they look like now. That's a great question. Um, it's so far removed from where I am now, but, and I'm sure. a horrible person who doesn't like keep up with people because they suck. Yeah, that's but... normal now for everyone. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I'm fitting in. You know, one of the things that we did um, that would not, I think a lot of times, you know, if you are in a, a brass quintet, Mm-hmm. you go to the part of the library that has brass quintet music if yeah. you play an orchestra you're digging through the orchestra files for mm-hmm. early music I think it's it's not so prescribed necessarily yeah. or it's not as prescribed as people might think right so we had like right. four people who could like kind of play the recorder two right. of them at least were really good not, I, I wasn't one of them um, right you know so like me and my best friend and uh, another girl we were good friends with played recorder um, the teacher played recorder like amazingly. She was like wow. good at the recorder, and <laughs> right. oh my gosh, it was amazing. who knew people could do that? But you know, so we had yeah. some recorders, and we had a couple of percussionists that played that were into cool. like um, the the earlier like the djembe and the frame drum, and I had all yeah. kinds of names for them that were not at all accurate but very descriptive. <laughs> um, and I think something right. I learned was like you you can take the music 
and make it fit what you have. You don't have yeah. to find something that's specific to you. And so we'd be like, all right, on this one, I guess we'll do like three recorders and how about the circle drum? Yeah, that's yeah. fine. You want to add jingles? That sounds great. I love jingles. <laughs> let's on this one, let's just do one guy on the top and then do you want to sing this? I found some words that might go with it. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. So yeah. it was it was cool for me. I had never, and I'm sure that other ensembles operate in that way. I had never experienced that. So for me, right. that was that was very eye-opening to be like, so you don't go and find like recorder music for five people who can sort of play. <laughs> There's not a part in the library for that. Right. It well, it's super fascinating yeah. to me that because that's exactly, uh, it's just amazing you say that because some of the interviews I've been doing, like I, I interviewed Dr. Carol Ann Buff uh, from mm -hmm. IU and mm -hmm. she is a early music scholar and mu musicologist. And we talked about this same exact thing. Like we were talking about Dufay and it's like, well, mm -hmm. the, the words stop right here in like the middle of this section. So what played that? We don't know. So that, but that gives your groups yeah. when you have these groups together, you just, who, who's here? Let's just do this then. And, yeah. and okay, here's this medieval text. Let's just put it to yeah. it. Why not? And th th there's so much freedom. And I, I think that the lack of real definitive, like set in stone, this is exactly how it was done, kind of allows you to explore it almost in the same exact way that a classic rock band would mm -hmm. like me and yeah. my friends. That's the way I got into music was me and my friends started a band when I was in ninth grade and I it was, it. and it, we would just sit around and just jam. So it sounds to me, it's like early music is the same thing, but just a little bit nerdier. Like, yeah. I think early <laughs> music ensemble is like the closest I have ever been and will ever be to being in a jam band. <laughs> right. Like, right. I'm but not, it totally I fits. Improvise. I can't, that like scares me. I played in jazz band in high school and they were like, yeah. no, you're solo. And I was like, uh, uh, it's, it's, wait, I can't read anything. Someone else, right? They didn't write the notes here. So I can't. <laughs> Right. I can't play. I don't know how. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, right. Oh, that's super, that's super great. So when you're talking about, I guess, that kind of jam band, this kind of uh, I Love Misfit Toys kind of consort music versus kind of what you'd think of the more traditional choral ensemble early mm -hmm. music, mm -hmm. um, what are some similarities or differences you see in just the music itself, I guess, and, and how that's put together and how you would interpret that and perform it. Sure. So, I mean, I think in some of the later stuff, you know, if we're talking about like is B minor mass or right, um, right, sure. even, you know, madrigals and motets, you're like, okay, yeah. here are the four parts. I mean, part of it is like, it was actually written in a way that's very familiar to us. And we're like, sure. ah, here's the box it goes in. We know how to do yeah. this one. This is great. <laughs> yeah. Whereas some of that earlier stuff where you just kind of toss it together in your consort, I mean, it's not, it's not always really delineated, right? right. It doesn't say here's the first recorder part. Here's the bass right. recorder. Here's first thing. It's just whatever you got and you throw it together. Um, you know, and, and I don't think that one or the other is more or less musical or more or less beautiful than sure. the other one. And, and for me, I'm still going to approach it with just trying to make it the most beautiful music that I can and still trying to, you know, be as, as uh, faithful to the composer as, as I think I should be, <laughs> right, <exactly. laughs> which, you know, maybe it could change depending on how I feel, but um 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I think that sometimes that that earlier stuff that's not as prescribed can can seem scarier for people sure. to perform when in fact I think it should be liberating. I think you should right. be like, oh cool, we can change this. You know what? Take that one up an octave and give it to that guy. Let's yeah. flip the bass parts around. Who cares? I mean yeah. somebody probably cares, but I don't care. And I, I think as long as you're you know, keeping that music alive, I think, and, and, and making it fit your situation, your instrumentation, your, you know, just, mm. as long as you're making it beautiful or making, right. you know, music out of it, I think yeah. that's great. To yeah. Me. Well, and I think it's interesting you say that keeping it alive, because that's kind of our, one of our sub kind of things, the sound of ages is taking it out of the museum and onto the stage. Mm -hmm. So it's so important. What is, and why do you think that is so important to keep that music alive? Like what specifically about it, I guess, is crucial to keep oh. alive? Well, I think part of it is I'm like super biased because I really like it. So I think everybody <laughs> should like it. Don't you love this? I love this. Absolutely. I feel that on a spiritual level, a deep spiritual <laughs> yeah, like, level. <laughs> I like it and I'm never wrong. So everybody <laughs> should like it. It's and you're a soprano. So clearly that's a yeah. hundred <laughs> and a brass player. So it's like a hundred percent. That is how right. I feel about it. My ego fills the whole place. Yeah, of course it's good. What do you mean? Yeah. So there's that part of it, but I think too, I, I mean, it speaks it can speak to people very differently, right? Because it's, right. it can be so much more intimate. Um, and I think not just, mm. not just for the audience. I mean, the audience is going to love it. And depending on what their frame of reference is, they may or may not know, Hey, where did this come from? What was it like when they wrote this? What does this music look like on the page? Cause some of it is beautiful. It's a work. Yeah. I, don't know if you, yeah. I have a manuscript oh, I was looking back there. At it. It's oh my gosh. So awesome. My dad bought that for me last year for Christmas. And I'm just, I'm in love with it and I can't yeah. hang it. It's like sitting on a desk because it's it's double pane glass and it's so heavy and this is oh, a red yeah. house. So like I can't yeah. I, I have to drill into like four studs to hang this dad. I don't know. <laughs> right. So it's too much. Here, but but that music is just beautiful to look at. And when you yeah. can see those manuscripts. But anyway, so for the audience, they don't see that, but you know, they can hear it and they can appreciate it. But I think as performers, there is something just so authentic and intimate about taking a piece you know and I mean a lot of it was written for very specific purposes and to uh you know realize what that purpose is and feel maybe what they would have felt when they were playing it especially mm. some of the church music even I mean I don't I don't know about you but sometimes at right. church we call it walking around music right <laughs> like when they gotta right. walk the bible from that part to that part or someone needs to get up there you know you yep. get them walking around music. well a lot of what right. they was walking around music yeah <laughs> had to get it's from amazing this part of the place to the other um, right but that I mean even that that action had a very specific uh you know just sort of sound to it right and to right. me that's so interesting to hear about but some of it I mean beyond that some of it wasn't written for like a specific uh person or event or right Sunday in Lent right some of right. it was just written to be written and it's I think a lot of it I'm thinking like Hildegard von Bingen it's not like they yeah. wrote that for some big shindig they put on <laughs> at the Abbey right like yeah. they she she wrote that out of her you know divine inspiration and it's right 
fiery and it's passionate and it's yeah it deserves to be lived and to be heard and not just I mean yeah. it's also gorgeous on the page but but right. take it off the page and make it live it's just yeah I, I, to me I think that's that's amazing and it's a an important job to do and I and I think it should be done yeah. I totally agree. And I think it's the same thing. I mean, we could talk about this kind of if you step back and make it a bigger umbrella in terms of just history in general uh, of like, why is history important? But it's the same kind of feeling you get when you go to, if you go to these European countries and you like walk on the streets and you're like, how old are these stones? And all of a sudden, like the history of humanity kind of like opens up. Whereas like you walk into a, new, a brand new suburb, like houses are still under construction. And there's just uh -huh. like, I mean, it, that's beautiful in its own right, right? Brand sure. new growth. But there's yeah. something really special that, you know, in this country, we don't really, I mean, we get it some when you go to some of the historical sites, but it's not the same because it's 800 years younger. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so with yeah. the music, it's the same story of like, our music makes more sense to me in every way spiritual mm -hmm. emotional intellectual physical performative when I understand that so I yeah, totally absolutely. think that's profound for sure the uh <clears throat> when you talk about um kind of keeping it alive I what have what are some things that you've seen in terms of keeping it alive to the audience now because we talked a little bit about performers and and yeah it's hard to kind of communicate that to the audience uh in projects you've performed or conductors you've observed or performances that you've been in the audience for what are some mm. things that you've experienced as an audience member to keep that alive oh as an audience member that's great i um you know i think that um I think it's important to give audiences some context. Yeah. But I also think if you provide them with like, you know, the world's largest tome of lecture notes, you know, right. like one, they're either not gonna read that anyway, or two, they're only, they're gonna read that. Like, I love reading program notes. I'm gonna read yeah. all the program notes you give me. <laughs> right. And sometimes to the detriment of listening to it right I'm like right. I missed what was going on I was reading yeah. these program notes I didn't get this and, before you started you know yeah and I think it can be really hard sometimes to give a succinct mm. um you know here's why this matters to you or why right. I think it should matter to you here's why right. um here's why we think you should listen to this here's why this yeah. music deserves to be here's why it's important here's its place in history yeah. Here's why, you know, I think a lot of people, um, I think the Bach cantatas have it easy, right? Because right, they were right. <laughs> like, well, this one was very specifically written for this exact thing. And this is right. why we do this, but not everything has that. And I think, but I think placing it, giving the music its place in history, um, giving a little bit of context and then saying a little something about how the music speaks to you know, it's surrounding context, I think is yeah. important. And I think it's really difficult to do. I mean, right. I've read good program notes and we've all read bad program notes, <laughs> you Absolutely. know, and I, th I think it's really hard to, to yeah. find that middle ground, but that's, I mean, I, I think it can really enrich the experience. The other thing sometimes is, um, you know, the conductors will talk in between some of the things right. or it's a, and I like that, but you know, 
it's the same thing. It can right. either be it's a hit or miss like, kind of make with it guy. We got places to be or, you know, and you right. don't want to have like a four hour concert. Oh my Lord. So right, right. even, even at, as a performer, if I go to a concert and we're running at like two, I mean, unless I'm at Messiah, right? Like, right, right. If, if I hadn't planned for this to be a three hour concert, I'm going to be tapping my foot. I'm oh yeah. Oh, I totally to agree. Go. And then, and then all of yeah. a sudden now you've created kind of like you were saying it and not so good experience with that music yeah, so you've kind of done totally. the opposite and yeah and you never know who's in there who's like oh, i'm gonna get in a quick 45 minute thing and be out of here <laughs> right no, right you're not. <laughs> you gotta listen to us talk about it now you're here forever so i think i think it's a really hard tightrope to walk but i yeah. think it's doable <laughs> yeah it just but, but I, it takes a lot and i think things like this and discussions and being able to kind of just really it doesn't take very much right it's not like sure. this okay you need to read this entire book it's like no just read this paragraph and then be able to articulate it well and then yeah yeah okay like just talk to people so for sure <clears throat> so, I think it would be great to give people resources to be like hey yeah. can you learn more about this here's a great book we can recommend <laughs> I think <laughs> that's a great idea I think that's a brilliant idea um, it's a great let's all start doing it okay i'm down that's next program one. it will have 100%. it on there <laughs> book recommendations for people who don't want to read the notes now go home and read these notes yeah hey that's <laughs> smart i like that a lot i'm like not even being facetious i think that's I'm cool full of good ideas <laughs> <laughs> why why do you think you're here on the on the program <laughs> because it's for the ideas 100%. yep a hundred percent um, so to switch gears a little bit to like yeah. singing, because Ooh. I come from a, so I grew up as an athlete. I still, I play ice hockey all the time and oh, yeah. singing was rough in my undergrad. I failed my pre-recital hearing. I just like, didn't get it. I didn't get it. Then by the time I got to BYU and like studied with Andy Crane and like, okay, I get this, but I feel like I'm just kind of behind the curve. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but now I'm like obsessed with technique because I struggled for mm. so long. So what are some things that you, the, the stereotype is early music singing is like light and floaty and oh, like yeah. bottomless, right? Oh, yeah. So what are some technical traps that you kind of hear people falling into when they sing early music? Yeah. So um, I'm not a technique person, like at all. I've never had a super technical teacher. I've never, well, nice. I should take that back because if someone I studied with watches this, I have had <laughs> teachers who are 100% know their technique, not that they're not technical, but we never got into that right. in right. my lessons, right? So um, I've never studied vocal pedagogy or anything like that. So just full nice. disclaimer. Oh, I feel great about this because this is going to be super <laughs> <Perfect>. awesome. <laughs> so, so here's a, so here's something that happened to me. Um, I was, I was singing in a group and, um, and I, I won't name any, anyone's name by, by sure. the answer, but somebody came up to me and, and they were working with the organization. They weren't singing in the concert, but they were working with the organization. And I said, um, I said, oh, do you, they were also a singer. And I said, oh, do you also sing early music? And this person said to me, oh no, I have a big voice. And I, <laughs> it just, like, I'm sure in my face, I'm sure I made a face because I oh, cannot yeah. see my face. But I was like, oh, of, of course. <laughs> and yeah, that's right. So that, 
I, oh man, they're just like shocking to me that somebody right. <laughs> like first of all, I'm not. I don't. I don't think I'm a person who's known for like my tiny restricted voice. Like I'm no, yeah. Like like lady, I, I've sung, I've sung opera over an orchestra. <laughs> like I've right. Done that. But so I think there really is a a, a a misconception that is not uncommon that to sing early music you have to have this very um, closed, restrained quiet like um, thin almost yeah, is the word thin, i think yeah of. yeah yeah thin sound or like a boy soprano right but like a small one i you know what i mean <laughs> right and right. like i just i of course i don't buy into that but it's right. it's crazy to me how people think that i mean if you just look at some of the chant notation yeah. especially the early stuff just look at it yeah look <laughs> like a weak little yeah no like, way it is all over the map it is fiery yeah. and this it looks flamboyant right right it looks, right. It, it looks just so it's there's nothing small about it and they wrote yeah. all these huge honking books too like, right yeah like, huge i don't know like even physically so like <laughs> right i, I never yeah, I never understood that misconception. And I think that sometimes if people come in, um, you know, from other, you know, other vocal, um, I won't say departments, but you know what I mean? If they like come in from other practices, kind of thing. yeah, other disciplines and they come in and they're like, oh, I'm, I'm doing this early music piece. So <laughs> no, you don't stop it. Why are yeah. You quit doing that. It's not, well, I don't, I hope no voice teachers ever say that because it's horrible, but like, yeah. yeah, you should never sing something with a bad technique, right? right? Regardless of what your technique is, it should just be good. Yeah, <laughs> right? absolutely. So that's yeah. the big one for me, but yeah, it's just, and the other thing is like, the other, the other big, big thing is when people are like, oh, no vibrato. Yeah. Yes. That's it. Thank you. So, okay. That's, like I'm not trying to drive a truck through your vibrato, but <laughs> right, let's a little, <laughs> a little goes a long way, you know. You can, so let's yeah, not let's not keep it. Let's not tighten it yeah, down too tight. I'm, I'm not trying to be in any German operas right now, but like <laughs> I'm not, you know. And there are sometimes where that 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 really straight boy soprano clear sound right. is good and it's right. wonderful I mean I sing like that myself my voice does not have very much natural vibrato I it just right. doesn't and yeah. um you know so I don't sing with a lot to begin with but I don't I would never actively try and remove like all of it unless the right. conductor specifically asks for it and even then if your technique doesn't allow you to do that don't do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Don't hurt yourself, please. You know, yeah, exactly. kind of thing. And I yeah. think, I think again, it's because of this, you know, I, I think that comes from the British boy soprano tradition mm -hmm. of so mm -hmm. many of the recordings we have of music from that era come from mm -hmm. that area. That and then, yeah. so it's, so, you know, we mimic it when it's like, man, there, there's so much of a richness that can be found in singing your real voice. Um, mm -hmm. and, and yeah, a, a narrow version of it. Right. So you're not driving trucks through sure. any, yeah. but, well. but it's clean and full. And so when you're, I guess if you're, and it, that's kind of tiresome 
regardless of style, I guess. So then to step back to just singing and as opposed to focusing on early music, what are some things mm -hmm. you do when you're doing a project? And if you like start to get tired, what do you do to stay fresh? Oh, yeah. So for me, the big thing is I have to, <laughs> and you, you can tell it's really hard for me, but I have to try and not talk very much because my yeah. speaking voice is so much lower than my singing mm. voice. And I'm not going to walk around talking like this, no matter <laughs> how many voice teachers tell me I have to do it. That's ridiculous. That's not yeah. my talk. So for me, right. my, my speaking voice is so low. And so I really have to try on breaks. And when you go out to dinner with everybody, mm -hmm. like, I just, I try not to talk too much. <laughs> it's or just slightly quieter. And <laughs> yeah. Or, or, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> you're so funny. No, but um, it's right, really hard, right? right? But the, the thing that I do, and I'm going to get made fun of, but like, I'm constantly, um, trying to stretch out my soft palate for me that's the thing that works more than anything else is that like mm. that, like you know trying to fit a grapefruit down your throat thing yeah oh it feels so good and it it really it for me that really helps alleviate the fatigue and the other thing is just, I just drink a ton of water like yeah I'm done like I'm the guy that has this thing and I'm, I'm doing like three in a rehearsal like I'm just yeah constantly drinking water because I also do the thing where I don't care about caffeine and co I'm drink coffee all the time I'm right, not gonna right. not drink coffee I'm not gonna <laughs> right. stop eating chocolate I like ice cream to get away from me I want my bowl of cereal so I'm right. not gonna cut out dairy so I'm gonna have to drink just like a ton of, ton a of water. crap ton of water yeah but yeah I mean really that's the thing and I feel like you know if you're singing with a good technique and you're not obviously there are some programs that are just right really really tough but yeah for the most part it, I mean I'm not getting that I mean unless you're in like four hour marathon rehearsals like I'm not I'm not usually getting that tired you know right right and My I think that comes like, from how many so how many projects roughly I mean, I mean in a non-covid year obviously how many projects sure. a year do you do typically oh that's a that's a hard question for me to answer I mean I'm usually doing a messiah Sure. I'm usually doing a ton of Christmas stuff just like around sure. you know there's usually you know I'm not doing a ton because I'm not mm -hmm. I'm not performing full-time right so I right, have right I have a full-time non-music job that I do and right. I um you know sometimes I get I really get grief for that <laughs> sure, for, sure. for having that but um because I I don't I don't teach I don't have a studio right. I don't I don't do lessons I don't have voice students um but I really like because like I I get to choose what project I do. Yeah, that's and, um, awesome. You know, if I'm like, eh, I'm not going <laughs> to do it. <laughs> right, and, uh, right. I really, I really appreciate having that flexibility. I yeah. mean, not like I'm getting so many offers thrown at me. I'm right, like, oh but... no, I can't possibly. But, you know, and for the most part, I mean, I don't, it's not like people are lining up to offer me things I hate. So, but right. knowing that I don't, I'm not forced into anything I don't want to do because I, you know, I need to make rent this month, you know, so sure, that's kind of nice. Sure. But I would say, I mean, I'm doing, you know, probably at least one a month. Right. Sure. Yeah. And then I'm, you know, I, I have a church job. So I sing at church every week and then, oh, you know, gotcha. additional stuff on top of that and then whatever, you know, whatever else is going around. Yeah. So it's not like a ton, but it's, it's and reasonable it, for me. And I mean, I have two kids and do all kinds of stuff. So I couldn't. Yeah, and that's like the most important job ever. So well, <laughs> like, it's and, the most time sounds, sounds like the most <laughs> stressful one but you know it's great <laughs> that's it's awesome fine. but it's I think wonderful. that I think that consistency probably helps um yeah 
keep it to where then when you're doing a little bit more demanding project, at least you, you, yeah. you st- even if you're not, you know, having a project every other week or every week mm-hmm. doing something, yeah. you're, you're consistent enough to where it's, you're able to kind of keep it from yeah. wearing out. Yeah. Um, I spent, I spent three years. Um, my husband is in the Marine Corps. And when he, uh, he spent three years doing a tour as a recruiter and so we lived in rural Oklahoma for three years and, oh, wow. uh, and it was, yeah, it was nice. I mean, it was, yeah. you know, my family is around there and, um, yeah. you know, real nice people, just a real, right. a lot more rural than, you know, where we live in Southern California. Right. And, um, but you know, there, there weren't that many singing opportunities. Right. I was able, I mean, I sang at a church in town and, um, yeah. and that was really nice. And, uh, and there was a community choir up in the, next bigger town <laughs> that I sang right. in and you know so I did some stuff here and there but um but it was a big difference I tell you when yeah. I moved back and I was like Oof, working out okay yeah seriously get back into it so yeah it definitely makes a difference to to be singing all the time and um you know even if you're not yeah exactly even if you're not doing like super taxing stuff just to, right. to be using that muscle you know yeah it's so weird how much differently I think about singing lately uh, just over the last year. Um, and I don't, I don't actually sing in any groups. Like I need to kind of get my, I sang with, you know, Andy Crane at BYU singers and mm-hmm. stuff like that, but it's like, okay, well, if I'm going to even substitute my own group, I'm at uh, the so bottom of, start a group. <laughs> I'm out of the bottom of the rung now. So, <laughs> so I didn't, you know, I'm not even good enough to be in my own choir kind of thing is what it feels like. Yeah, and it's God. like, but it, so it's like, you know, but, but it's, it's really fascinating how, how quickly it goes, but it's just like mm-hmm. a sport. How, if, if you mm-hmm. really settle that technique really solidly, the foundation will always be there. And yeah, the cobwebs mm-hmm. can come off, but establishing that is like so important and yeah like so riding a bike awesome. right yeah exactly <laughs> like i'm this... not probably not gonna pick up and do the tour de france next week but like <laughs> yeah i could probably yeah. go around the block a couple of times <laughs> yeah right? exactly if I do that every day maybe i'll get better <laughs> <laughs> absolutely so last question this has been awesome i've loved this and i think Great. your Easy. insights are so just like a- approachable and so with that kind of in mind, what do you, what, if you were to give advice to like, whether it be a public school educator, a collegiate educator, a professional community choir conductor, whatever, in terms of like, you know, what do you love singing about early music mm-hmm. and what can they, what can we do as conductors now to kind of yeah. introduce that the right way? Kind of like we sure. talked about earlier. Or or some, and on top of that, I guess, is some specific pieces that you like particularly loved. Maybe like, I'm sure you could go on forever about that one. So to follow that. I'm horrible at that. Actually, I'm horrible at that. I have no space in my mind for remembering names of pieces, composers that I've done. I I just, it's not there. So like, I, I know I've done Messiah like every year. That <laughs> right. one I know. It did <laughs> yeah. be minor mass. I got that one. But I mean, I used to sing a church at the Advent and we did a different song mass every week. That's awesome. And, like, so I've done like a lot. Yeah, there's too many. But if you asked me like, hey, have you done the bird mass? And like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. How does it go? Even if you sing it to me, I'm mm, right. Maybe again, like I have no idea. 
right so so no i will not be suggesting specific. perfect hey that's okay i want to do messiah i know that one um but but so i think so firstly i would i would never presume to tell a public school teacher what to do (laughs) ever i have i have so much respect for public school educators music and otherwise like they're amazing I know what my kids are like and my kids are like really well behaved and like I couldn't deal with them like it's right right so like so highest praise to them and I know that especially um you know with so many music programs being cut being downsized now I teach band and choir and orchestra and guitar and piano right (laughs) and now I teach that at five different schools and I only see my kids for 30 minutes once a week like yes yeah it's it's crazy the kinds of restrictions there are so I would never presume to tell them what to do (laughs) what I would say is that I think that sometimes you know maybe people might not necessarily program early music because one, it can be hard to find good editions, right? Mm. There's a lot of bad editions of early music out there, like yeah. real bad, right? Yeah. And even even when there are good ones, I think one, some of the good ones are expensive to yeah. buy, right? So if you have to buy music, sure. it can be really expensive because there are these, I mean, a lot goes into that, right? So right. I don't know anything about publishing either. So sometimes right. it can be really expensive. But also I think when you look at them, even if you're on, you know, I almost said I am BD. Um, I, I, BD, I said it backwards. I am SLP. So it's even the if same you're exact thing, Corley, right? Whatever. It's the same, but for, for music. Um, so even if you find a good edition, I think a lot of times it looks boring. Yeah. And I think it looks boring. And I think people are like, nah. right? There's, it's all half notes. It's yeah, all, there's something to that, huh? I think it's it's all half notes and quarter notes. It's just, it's like a four part. It looks super boring. There's no dynamics. There's no markings that tell you, right. And I I think that it could be cool to use a piece like that, like an old part song, use that as a real learning tool in terms of musicianship. Because you as a performer have to decide, do I crescendo here? (laughs) If I play this a second time, if I hear this theme a second time, do I play it louder or something? Right. Do I yeah. do I change up? Right. So there are there are a ton of decisions to be made, and maybe you do that as an exercise with your group. Like, hey, is this yeah. something you would do? Um, what What do you think? How do, does this right. make you feel? What's the tempo we're gonna take? Is it all? Because I think you see those half notes, and you're like, okay, <laughs> right. man, no, it's gonna sound horrible. Yeah. So oh. I, I think that it's not it's not necessarily at face value, very appealing for, for mm. younger groups. It just isn't. Also, it's not in English half the time, right? right More than half right. the time. It's like in Latin or some junk and it's most of it is sacred. Not all of it, but a lot of it's right. sacred music. And do I already have three sacred pieces because that's what's already in the library. You know, right. what I mean? yeah. you got to branch out, you got to diversify. And I get that. I, t- I totally get it. So <clears throat> I totally right. understand what they're ever against. Why well, don't? I'm trying to totally understand what they're up against, but I think it could be fun, right? So, you know, if you you have a chance, take a chance. I think at the collegiate level, a lot of times, you know, you want to hit all that stuff that people should know because your purpose is twofold, right? Like you, Mm. you want to, you know, provide a, a concert for an audience for people, but you're also trying to educate 
these people in your choir, right? So right. maybe this is where you have to learn Monteverdi's Vespers. Maybe that's why we're doing that because right. you should know this piece. Maybe yeah. that's why we're doing, you know, everyone needs to know this Eric Whitaker piece, I guess. So right. we all got to do that, right? So, right. you know, there's, I, I think sometimes there are, you want to get to your golden oldies because you have to know right. that stuff. Would you believe I graduated both college and graduate school and had never done Messiah? I had no never way. even done any of the arias. Well, yeah. No way. None, none of them. Because That's I went to insane school and to like, me. Everyone already knew. <clears throat> so, when I, so when I was in undergrad, they were like, oh, um, we want to hit these like big things, but um, but you know, we, we want to keep it fresh. You don't just do the thing. So we right. did a lot of this like new music and then I got to graduate school and they're like, well, everyone already knows all that stuff. So we're so not going like, to do it. You like missed yeah, it on both so fronts. Yeah, so I got out and I I did my first full Messiah in uh like twenty thirteen or fourteen. Yeah, <laughs> whoa. Messiah. Yeah, that's really crazy. Like, crazy. And here's like a stupid, here's a stupid story about me, is that <laughs> <laughs> when I was growing up, we had um so we love Christmas in my house and my family, and yeah. we had like a six disc. A CD changer when I was a kid, and nice. so we had uh, so fancy six back different, then. So fancy. So we had um, you know we put Christmas songs and we play Christmas songs all the time. And so yeah. we had an Amy Grant Christmas CD like you do, right? Uh, and um, I don't know to this day. I don't know if it was on the Amy Grant Christmas CD or if it was mixed in. But the CD yeah. would play like an Amy Grant song, and then it would play an excerpt from a Messiah. Yeah. And I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so you're listening for the first time like where's amy grant <laughs> coming I next no idea. i had no idea what this was that's incredible so i'm in so i'm in college and we're walking down the hallway and i hear the orchestra practicing and they're playing a bit from messiah and i was like and it was spring too and i was like oh right are they playing that and my friend was like they're practicing for the spring concert and i was like i was like christmas song by amy grant <laughs> No. That's fantastic. I, I didn't know. I didn't know anything. I don't know anything now. I didn't know anything <laughs> then. I literally thought Amy Grant wrote parts of the Messiah. That is incredible. That's the so best that's story awesome. ever. <laughs> yeah, that is actually so awesome. But I think that's the great thing dumb. is that's like so much more applicable than like. I mean, I try to walk this line where I'm like, well, I'm cool, so I can relate to <laughs> common people and academics. <laughs> it's like, like, I can't, I'm not cool. <laughs> but it's cool. like, but I think you do kind of bridge the gap where it's like, yeah, you know things, but you're also like a, an average person too. Like my dad is totally. always yelling at me, like, just sing in English at your concerts, dude. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it was great. I okay. sent my grandmother a CD of songs that I did on my recital that were in English. She was like, well, I can't understand any of that. <laughs> I was like, oh, in English. English. Wait, I was. They, <laughs> they were all in English. I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's um, oh, it's sad. Awesome. <laughs> but yeah, at the um, I already forgot what the question was. There was a third. Oh part, no, that's okay. Just um, just perfect. I, I nailed what it. you would recommend to to make it more relevant to, to teachers oh, sure. or conductors or to singers. <gasps> oh or, yeah, 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 yeah. So so I think at the professional level, the best experiences that I have had both in early music and in, and in contemporary music, um, you know, come from allowing 
the artistry to happen organically, mm. right? I, um, I <laughs> again, I won't name names, but I, I sang in a group at one point and the conductor was very specific about what he wanted. And that's great. Right. I think conductors should be, if he, if the conductor doesn't tell the ensemble what he wants, he's not gonna hear she wants, he's not gonna get anything. It's right, gonna right. just be, you know, you either Man. have to really show it physically or say it verbally or right. give notes. I don't communicate know. Communicate somehow. You, yeah. You have to communicate what what you what your vision is for what you're doing. But I, I worked with a conductor once who was so micro prescriptive about what what they mm. wanted. And um it was like on this syllable, you'll crescendo from mezzo forte to forte. And then on the next syllable, you will diminuendo to piano. And then the shadow vowel should be more of an open uh, and not a shock. I was like, this, Whoa. okay, this is gonna take us a while to get this whole thing. Yeah. And, that was, and it was every, it was crazy. And I just, yeah. and it didn't sound musical, right? right. The end result was not musical. And it, it was very, actually, I don't even think it sounded robotic because it never came together because everyone was trying. Right. So you're not trying to do the music at that point, right? You're trying yeah. to produce a formula with your yeah. voice and it was horrible and yeah. also frankly it was pretty insulting right, <laughs> right? right as a performer I was like don't you if you claim that this is a professional ensemble right theoretically that means you have professional singers <laughs> and if <Huh>. weird <laughs> if your singers are professionals then surely they have a minimum level of musicianship to be right. able to give an interpretation to the piece such that you can give sort of more overarching direction rather right. than, and sometimes absolutely you want to give a very specific, I want this to sound exactly like this. And, and right. of course. There's like moments, right? I mean, you have to get moments Yeah, you together. want to cultivate those moments, but like, every single note it was <laughs> right <laughs> yeah the, well, well, it was horrible so yeah right don't do that it's awful <laughs> it's so awful right and so be, being able to do that organically as a group is so much more one fulfilling two I think more fruitful I think it's better I think it sounds yeah. better and when you're doing it together and cohesively and it just becomes this beautiful blossoming alive thing yeah. instead of this like oh I'm so sorry my husband <laughs> instead <laughs> so scary <laughs> he's really nice I swear oh my goodness just the, the friendly welcome oh, Hi. thank you Klaus I'll tell you a joke while he's working. Oh my god. Yes, yeah, my husband's saying dog. So our dog's name is Klaus. That's amazing. He's a he's a German shepherd, but our last name is Minor. So his name is Klaus Minor. And most people don't get the joke, but the lead singer of the Scorpions, his name is Klaus Minor. Are you serious? That's amazing. Oh my. <laughs> my get, husband likes puns, so <laughs> you just get that like on uh like a t-shirt and Photoshop your dog's face on his body. Oh, 
it was we I, I couldn't have told you that that was the lead singer of scorpions I, I could not have told you that um except i listened to this podcast that was about this conspiracy theory that the cia helped write wind of change <laughs> to release it. that sounds in <laughs> the best podcast ever i will totally send it to you because <laughs> yes please do but anyway so <clears throat> In conclusion, I think it's I think it's just so much better when when the conductor trusts the musicianship of the artists, yeah. of the singers, of the musicians, and just lets it form naturally. Um, it's so much better, and I think especially with early music because you have that flexibility. Yeah. To you know, sometimes with with like super contemporary music, sometimes the composers like weren't there, so like right. That always makes me not nervous, but I'm like I want to do it. Right, right. When you get composers like, who are like that conductor, where like every performance oh of this piece yeah. is going to be the exact same, because yeah, everything is everything is minutiae to death almost, you know. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, and there's definitely some of those, and especially, and I don't, I don't specialize in the, like the contemporary. Uh, oh, what's the name for it that isn't gonna offend people uh like the e experimental music oh right? like avant-garde like, stuff like thank you yeah 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 <laughs> i call it weird music I don't <laughs> cut that part out. yeah so, no, I love like, <laughs> when it's like stuff where i'm like are there notes in this song <laughs> or is it just i think i did a piece one time in a choir and it wasn't even like a super avant-garde piece in its performance but on the music i was like um <laughs> on my copy on this staff instead of notes there's pictures of ducks is it supposed to look like that there's pictures right. of ducks of right it's like ah i'm not sure but um you know if the composer is there i want to do i want to do to the best of my ability what the composer wants right when the composer is done you can do whatever you want right, <laughs> right? So, exactly so you can really take you know the, it wasn't meant to be done the same way every time right it wasn't i totally meant agree to be like that so i think that that people should really embrace that um that fluidity that flexibility mm -hmm. and and just make it your own piece make it suit you yeah. make it make it make you feel alive you yeah know? and and that's what makes the piece live and and mm -hmm. actually really i i completely agree in in this feeling of like organic uh you know just like you could talk about I mean, I could go on and on, but about specifics, but you know, you have an ascending line, it's going to crescendo, maybe add just like 10%, just so the audience really hears it, but don't yeah. add like 50% and don't yeah, add yeah. like a hundred, you just yeah. give it a little extra. So it, it's like comes out of exactly yeah. what was written and it feels yeah. supernatural. And yeah, yeah, I totally agree. So yeah, I think that, yeah, the thing you said, make it feel natural. I think there's a point where you can prescribe so much so what you want the performance to be like that it doesn't sound natural mm, and yeah. I don't like that yeah. I don't I don't think audiences like that when you're like no. oh it's, oh now it's mm. right right feel it I, oh this is pleasant now not all music yeah. is meant to be like pleasant and super you know some of it's you know right it, like some Shostakovich symphonies like I don't think you're supposed to feel great while you're listening <laughs> to some of those right like that's not the point <laughs> right exactly <laughs> but, but yeah but I think you know and for for singers especially I think sometimes when they're like I can sing loud here I'm gonna sing so loud here <laughs> yeah. mm -mm. 
<laughs> yes. Mm. Especially as a, Hello. as a brass player, you understand that too. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, a brass player who studied in Chicago, no less. So <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh, well, Courtney, thank you. This has been so oh, fun. You. And I was um, jazzed. I think there's some really cool, uh, great nuggets here that even me is, you know, in the pro choir world and the public education world that totally are useful and so applicable to these high school students who they don't want to study oh. music, but they just love it. So there's help them have that experience yeah. with it. So I, I think, think it's be been awesome. awesome. Oh, yeah, well, I'm going to play it for them. And <laughs> awesome. Do it. Yeah. You're like a crazy person thinks that you should do this. Oh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> no, I was just so, I'm so happy to be here and, and to do this with you. I think it was great. I'm just, I'm just pumped that someone thinks I have insight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you do. You absolutely do. Oh, great. Wonderful. <laughs> So, Nicola Vicentino, the theorist and composer of the Renaissance. So, in the city of Ferrara, in Italy, Ferrara, Ferrara was the kind of the center of the avant-garde. They, and they were doing wild things there in music, like the definition of far out atonality, um, non-Western tuning systems. There was a large amount of women composers, which, I mean, obviously is the peak of avant-garde. And uh, I feel like those, there's not enough of you who know me well enough to, to know my sense of sarcasm humor, but yeah. Anyway, and he... Uh, worked there for a long time, for a large amount of his career. So what really put him on the map was this very public and very heated debate with this Portuguese composer over the Greek genders. So in Greek language, there's three genders that they use, masculine, feminine, and neutral. And so uh, Musically, the idea was musically that there are also three genders, diatonic, chromatic, and enharmonic. So diatonic would be what we would think of as tonal music. And if you think in the Renaissance, music that stays in one particular mode. Chromatic being stuff like Gesualdo and a little bit more avant-garde. And then enharmonic, which had its own... its own harmonic language made up of semitones, quarter steps. So there were certain little four or five note patterns that made up the diatonic gender, the chromatic gender, and the enharmonic gender. Diatonic and chromatic are things that we could play on the piano today. The enharmonic one, again, we're dealing with semitones, which is not a Western tradition. And the Portuguese composer, compo- the Portuguese composer Lusitano, held that the diatonic gender 
was sufficient for analyzing and explaining the music of the day. So he was very much into, again, what we would call tonality. And so it's like, yeah, we don't need any experimentation. Diatonicism works great. And Vicentino disagreed. So he, uh, the, the judges of the debate were members of the papal chapel. So there was, I mean, obviously no bias, of course. Uh, they said that he lost the debate, but it spurred him to write his treatise on the three genders. And that when he started writing about the enharmonic gender with all these quarter tones, uh, semitones, quarter steps, all this like whacked out stuff, it led him to inventing a keyboard with 132 keys. Okay, this is absolutely crazy. I watched a YouTube video on it. It is nuts. And it sounds bad. Like, <laughs> I mean, my Western ears, it sounds bad. I'm sure if you were very ver versed, if you are very well versed in Eastern music tradi tradition, especially Middle Eastern music, I'm sure it would sound fine. But I'm not, and it sounds off. But, so, every white key has... Or not every white key, but if you think about the piano, visualize it in your head, piano. Between the white keys are black keys. Now, on Vicentino's keyboard, each black key was split in half front to back. So there was two black keys. One of them was assigned as like the sharp version. So think about a D. One of the black keys was for D sharp. The other black key was specifically for E-flat, and those two halves of the black key were not tuned the same. And so if you were playing, and so he would write all these chromatic chords that you would think of as, you know, it, for, for people who are music, um, like music education people or who went to university to study music, you would think of all these chromatic mediant chords and and uh, 20th century techniques. For those of you in the audience who are uh, didn't go to university for music or don't know music theory, it, it's literally like the Lord of the Rings soundtrack, just kind of these chords that sound kind of epic, but they also sound kind of out of tune. And I wish I was doing a video of this podcast because I'm literally talking with my hands playing the piano and I look insane. Anyway... I will attach a link to YouTube with the keyboard because it sounds gnarly. It's very mathematical, very cool, but again, not that practical because who's going to go to an hour concert listening to a harpsichord like that? It sounds like a harpsichord you found in your hoarder great-grandmother's basement in the middle of a rainstorm. But mathematically and theoretically, it works. And so he led the way for, and even though... People who followed him, like Gesualdo and Monteverdi, who spent time in Ferrara, they didn't kind of embrace that full enharmonic gender, really, but they took his ideas of diatonic and, and the chromatic like to their fullest extent. So uh, this is a quote from Vicentino. Where, where he's just talking about music in general. And this kind of sums up his attitude and philosophy. Breathe life into the text and demonstrate with 
the harmonies chosen, its passions, now harsh, now sweet, now gay, now sad. And it was all subservient. The music was subservient to the text. It was all about expressing, painting the text in the most dramatic and expressive way possible. So obviously, diatonic genders, not the only one. Uh, if you're going to go that route and you're going to really express the text, you're going to need some more tools. So only four pieces survive from his four books of motets and five books of madrigals. There's two motets and two madrigals. These pieces fit within the style using all three Greek gen genders simultaneously. It kind of goes through. So there's some videos on YouTube of uh, one of them that uh, I'll post as well. Uh, Madonna il poco dolce. And it's the performers have performed it with enharmonic tuning. So they're tuning quarter steps, and it's wild. It's really wild. It's like, whoa, that chord was at no, it was in was it in tune or out of tune? I can't tell. It's gnarly. Um, you could sing it, you know, diatonically or or chromatically, if you really wanted to do it. But to do it in that enharmonic gender philosophy, you're gonna need some really really well trained singers. So again, I will post. You know, uh, the names of his pieces. One is uh, Eumihi Domine, Infelix Ego Omnium, and then his madrigals are, are Solo e Pensoso and Pasa la Nave Mia. And that's all we got. Some of them, like the Madonna Il Poco Dolce, was kind of a, almost like a study piece in his treatise. So, uh, again... Not very useful on the repertoire, but I thought it was really fascinating and a cool thing to talk about. Paved the way for Gesualdo, Cipriano di Rore, Orlando di Lassus, who we talked about last week, Monteverdi and more. We're all, we have their music as expressive as it is because of people like Vicentino, who really pushed the envelope and uh, allowed an avenue for these composers to be experimental and avant-garde and have it be acceptable okay thanks for tuning into the show today get a little bit far out with me today talking about avant-garde psychedelia rock and roll i hope you enjoyed our interview with courtney minor she's such a cool lady and go look uh, into vicentino and just kind of listen a little bit and see what he was all about it's fascinating and and not your usual daily dose of renaissance music so go check them out and be sure to like and subscribe give us a review those help a lot five star rating is most acceptable and we'll see you next time on early music monday <laughs>